Our reading today comes from Joshua chapter 6. On the seventh day, they rose early at the dawn of day and marched around the city in the same manner seven times. It was only on that day that they marched around the city seven times. And at the seventh time, when the priests had blown the trumpets, Joshua said to the people, Shout, for the Lord has given you the city, and the city and all that is within it shall be devoted to the Lord for destruction. Only Rahab the prostitute and all who are with her in her house shall live, because she hid the messengers whom we sent. So the young men who had been spies, excuse me, so the young men who had been spies went in and brought out Rahab and her father and mother and brothers and all who belonged to her, and they brought all her relatives and put them outside the camp of Israel. Joshua laid an oath on all of them at that time, saying, Cursed before the Lord be the man who rises up and rebuilds this city, Jericho. At the cost of his firstborn shall he lay its foundation, and at the cost of his youngest son shall he set up its gates. So the Lord was with Joshua, and his fame was in all the land. This is the word of the Lord. Would you join me again in prayer? Father God, in Jesus' name, we thank you for uh, your mercy and grace to us. Uh, Lord, show us how to tear down Satan's strongholds and protect us from ever uh, rebuilding anything that should have been destroyed. But Lord, may we build upon the foundation of your word, of our salvation, of your grace. Um, as the church is built on the foundation uh, of the apostles and prophets, and that you are the chief cornerstone, and we are bricks in that building. Lord, we thank you for that awesome opportunity, and may we be uh, good uh, builders uh, working for the master builder. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we are in Joshua 6, and uh, we are looking through the book of Joshua at, at prayers. We're using this as a jumping-off point to talk about uh, prayer, and we want to be more engaged as a church in prayer. Today we come to the first even hint of a prayer, but Joshua is asking God to curse anyone who rebuilds Jericho. It sounds kind of odd, and uh, so um, I, I'm calling this sermon today, Resolved Not to Rebuild. Uh, and that is that uh, there are some things that we should not rebuild in our life, and there are some things we should build into our life. And there are the three main texts I want to look at today, but uh, I want to remind you, uh, they're online as well as in here. Uh, you can get the Calvary app, calvarystanton.org, calvarybaptistanton.org. Uh, it, it's got that orange C on it, so you'll see it there. Um, and then, uh, or, or through our website, uh, all the scriptures that I thought of in advance will be there. I always say that because many times things come to me uh, in the middle and I go ahead and quote those. But I want to I give an example uh, of, of someone who forgot uh, the fact of, of being helped in rebuilding and uh, turned against them. In 1923, an earthquake hit uh, Tokyo area uh, of Japan. And it, it created, uh, it, it lasted three and a half hours. It was a, one of the highest magnitude earthquakes ever. Yokohama is the, the other city between Tokyo and Yokohama, those two cities. 140,000 people died. Another 100,000 were injured. Created a 40-foot tidal wave uh, or tsunami uh, to be 
scientifically accurate, uh, that killed another 60,000 in another uh, city. It was devastating. This is 1923. America immediately began sending relief ships loaded with with medical supplies, food, building supplies, all the things that Japan would need. And we helped to rebuild that area and bring uh, relief to those people. A mere 18 years later, one morning in Hawaii, on December 7th, 1941, the Japanese planes came roaring over the horizon and sunk the American fleet stationed in Pearl Harbor. 18 years, they forgot the benevolence and created chaos. Now, that's not political. It's just facts of history I'm sharing because I want to bring that into the spiritual realm. God has rescued us and saved us from destruction. And then we sometimes turn and forget what God has done and we create destruction in our own lives uh, because, of course, we were plunged into war with Japan and many, many lives were lost over the years after that. But here's what I want you to take home with you today, that prayer is the builder to keep us from the curse. When God destroys something that shouldn't be rebuilt in our life, we have to forget what God has done for us before we start rebuilding something we shouldn't rebuild. Let me just look at this text a little bit. You know the story. You you just heard it read uh, that, that Joshua, God told him to march around Jericho with all the people once a day for seven for six days on the seventh day to go around it seven times and on the seventh trip around blow trumpets shout loud and the walls would fall down Jericho was one of the, is one of the oldest cities in the world archaeologists have dug down they believe that they've gotten down to the original uh, Jericho um, they dated it about 10,000 years old so that makes it one of the earliest the world's not much older than that if if at all older than that and and so uh, it, it was one of the earliest cities but here's the deal the word Jericho we're not exactly sure uh, what that word means or where it came from but the best guess it goes back to a word that means the moon and it was, it's thought that Jericho was built as a monument to this false god that involved the moon somehow. And so Jericho was, in, in thinking of it spiritually, a symbol of an evil power, of a false god's power. Because in the day of, Jericho, of Joshua, Jericho was one, of the, was one of the most fortified, strongest cities. Those walls uh, showed the strength of their god or gods. Uh, just as God had done in Egypt, and he showed his power against uh, nine of the Egyptian gods. So now going into this area, Jericho is a symbol against God. That is why God led Joshua to ask for this curse for it not to be rebuilt. You would think you conquered the land, you just, you just tore down the, the, most, the strongest city. You'd want to rebuild that so you would have it as a defense. But rather God wanted to destroy the knowledge of false gods in that land. Another interesting thing, we think of that wall as falling out or in or something like that. When they got down to the lowest, the Hebrew word in here in the book of Joshua for fall down, it means it fell from the top to the bottom. It fell from the top down onto the lower. Now, there were two walls in there, but it was as if they didn't fall out or in. They just went straight down. Guess what they found? They found that those walls had not, weren't laid out, that they just had sunk down, that they had indeed just crumbled uh, down. And yet they, these walls were extremely fortified. They were extremely strong. 
But I always wondered as a kid, how did Rahab survive all that if her house was in the wall? Because she let the spies out a window down the wall, remember? Well, here's what they found. In between those two walls, that's where the poor people lived. So Rahab's house was probably in the wall between the two walls. And so she was one of those poor people or at least an outcast in society there. I would also point out not only did God save her life, he made her the grandmother, great-grandmother of Boaz who married Ruth who became the grandparents of Jesse, the father of King David. Don't forget God's redemptive power in that whole story. So God destroyed the stronghold of the enemy. Very first city taken in uh, the children of Israel going into the promised land. But when it's all over, we don't find Joshua saying a thanksgiving prayer. He's saying a cursed prayer. He, he, he calls down a curse on anybody who re- rebuilds Jerusalem. I mean Jericho. Man, I get in trouble with that. Uh, with Jericho. In 1 Kings 16.34, 500 years later, we find these words. In his days, he all of Bethel built Jericho. He laid its foundation at the cost of Abiram, his firstborn, and set up his gates at the cost of his youngest son, Segub, according to the word of the Lord, which he spoke by Joshua, the son of Nun. That's 1 Corinthians 16, 34. And so 500 years later, God doesn't forget. Amen. God remembers when Joshua prayed this, God said, okay. And the Bible says, as God told Joshua to say, way back 500 years before. This curse became a blessing to Israel because God had destroyed that which would have brought spiritual death to them. That is false gods. I don't want you to miss that. And all those details I was giving you, I don't want you to miss that. Jericho represents the worship of a false god. It represents a power against God's people. And God destroys it and says, don't rebuild it because I don't want that reminder of that evil to be among you. And 500 years later, somebody forgot. You would think after 500 years he'd remember, wouldn't you? But no, he forgot. And, and exactly what Joshua said happens to this man. It's spelled H-I-E-L. You can look it up. 1 Kings 16, 34. And I challenge you to pronounce it right. But anyway... But let let me talk about when the curse can become a blessing. In other words, this is a curse on anybody who would rebuild it, but it's really a blessing in disguise because God doesn't want this evil to be rebuilt in our life. And so, first of all, I want you to see that Jesus removes the curse by becoming the curse for us in our place. Now, we, we say this many different ways in church, and I think sometimes we say it and we give lip service to it, but we don't really catch what we're saying. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says this, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. I'm going to repeat that reference because it won't, you won't find that on the app this right now at least. 2 Corinthians 5.21. Love this verse. It says that Jesus who was perfect and sinless became sin for us. The Bible tells us in Ephesians that he took the handwriting of ordinance that was against us. That is the law of the Old Testament. And he took it out of the way nailing it. To a tree. What does that mean? The Bible says Jesus fulfilled the law. That is, he fulfilled the, first of all, he fulfilled the righteous requirements. He never broke it. And then he took all the penalty of the law that all of us have created, that all of us deserve death because nobody in here hasn't broken all ten commandments. You say, now wait a minute, I didn't break all ten. I know I did one or two. But the Bible says you break one, you break them all. 
And so we're all guilty of all the law being broken. But Jesus, who was perfect, became that curse of sin for us and died on a cross in our place. For our sake, he made him who, to be sin who knew no sin, that we in him might become the righteousness of God. So our curse is removed. We shouldn't rebuild it. Right? I mean, I don't know what might be your besetting sin. All of us have at least one. And, but, but if God delivers you from something, you don't go back to it. There was a, there was a man, this is an old illustration, and I could come up with a million new ones because all of us probably experienced something similar. But this is a, a long time ago. This man was such a drunkard that uh, his own little two-year-old daughter died and he bent over her coffin as if he were weeping to steal her shoes so he could sell them to get more alcohol to drink. And God miraculously saved him. And he began rescuing men out of alcoholism. Never went back in a bar the rest of his life. Why? Because it would have been too tempting to go back into that sin. Now that's just one particular. And you're going, good, that's not my problem. He's not talking to me. Yeah, I am. You got a problem and it's real easy to go back into that sin. And, and here's what it says in Galatians 2.18. I love Galatians 2.20. I'll tell you about that in a minute. But I kind of missed this part of the context of it. By the way, I'm giving you little verses, especially when I'm preaching more topically. This, this would be called a springboard sermon. Talking about prayer springboarding out of Joshua to get into that water. But listen to Galatians 2.18. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. What I was going to say is, take these verses and then read a bunch of verses before and a bunch of verses after. Read the whole chapter you find them in. Put them back into their context. But this fits what I'm talking about with context. But listen to it again in Galatians 2.18. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. The Bible also refers to it as a as a dog returning to its vomit. To, to go, well, I don't want to gross y'all out, but y'all know about dogs. That, that, that's what going back into sin, once God saved you. As, as believers, we have this really great uh, saying. Uh, and you heard Pastor uh, Stephen Salvi talking about Calvinism, leading discussion. I do lecture, okay? But I will do my best not to. My wife will help me, I am sure, uh, not to lecture so much. But, but uh, we'll be talking about that. And out of that, we get the idea that once you are saved, you cannot be lost. And that is a biblical truth, uh, in, in my humble but accurate opinion, uh, that, that once you're saved, there's no way you can lose it. The Bible bears that out. But, but here's the deal. We can go back into sin, and I believe when we do, the Bible, that, that the Holy Spirit brings conviction and calls us to repent and forsake that sin. Calls us to get away from that sin. We do that not by looking at the sin, but by looking at the Savior and what he supplied for us. Elizabeth, uh, you heard her story up there. I didn't know she was on that film. She started off this morning, and that's Elizabeth. And it was so good. She's part of us. If you've never met Elizabeth, sweet, wonderful lady. And I uh, love her to death. And, uh, but she reminds me, she reminded me uh, of another uh, girl that uh, many years ago that I, I helped, I uh, counseled with her. Um, and, and here's what I want you to understand. There's probably something in your past you still feel guilty over. That's what she was talking about up there. And that she still has, has uh, was feeling, and she didn't know, even know why. Some, 
you could probably say, oh, I, you know, I always remember, I always regret, because when I was a kid or some years ago, or I did this in my past. And I would say, well, then let's go and repent about that. You say, yeah, but that was a long time ago. Well, you still remember it, don't you? If you still remember, it must be kind of important. You remember what you had for supper? December of the year you were four years old? No. It was important, but wasn't that important. But if you remembered some failure, the devils, you can use that in your life. I was going to tell you about this young lady. Uh, her dad let me know. I knew this family for some time. This, this was many years ago. It's about close to 40 years ago now. It's at least 35 and uh, I was talking to him, and he says, you don't know it, but my daughter, I won't say her name, is expecting a child. She wasn't married. Uh, and she was a teenager. I said, really? I didn't know that. So I, I tried to talk to her, and, you know, she didn't want to talk to me. And, uh, and her parents begged her not to marry the guy that was the father because uh, he, he wouldn't want to marry him. And she went, and he, she and he went and found a pastor that would marry them, and they got married anyway. Well, as her parents saw what happened, their lives were miserable. He was not a, a good man to his wife, a uh, very evil kind of guy. So finally, you know, he left. They got separated, and they were separated 364 days. On day 365, he came knocking on the door and said, I'm so sorry. I love you. Will you take me back? And she did. That night they conceived. And now she's pregnant again. And on day 366 he left again. Never to be seen again. Now she has rebelled against her parents. She's done everything she could do against them. But now she finds herself with a baby. Now a baby on the way. And she has burned every bridge behind her. She was raised in a Christian home. Great Christian family. So finally she's ready to listen. So I sit down with her, and I go to Galatians 5, and I read this list of sins that we can commit. And I asked her, what do you think your problem is? Of what caused all of this? She said, well, I went and committed, you know, sex outside of marriage. I said, no, that's not it. I kind of confused her. She said, because I didn't do what my parents Asked me to do. I, no, that's not it. Try again. She said, because I had an attitude of rebellion against my parents and against God. I went, bingo. And she prayed about that root cause that had leaves of immorality. But those are just leaves on the end of the branches. She had to go down to that root. And there she repented. And by the way, what a beautiful Christian lady she became in that moment. I mean, now she's got two babies, needs a lot of help. Her parents helped her, other people helped her. She married a wonderful Christian man, raised them in a Christian home, and her life is, is, is wonderful. What, what I'm trying to let you know is sometimes what you see as the sin is the evidence of something else you need to pray about. You need to go back to that root of rebellion, that root uh, of, of where you got off track and repent and ask God to help you. And, and if you do need help, listen, I, I'm here to try to help you discover what that is. But I, I want to make this final point. 
We stay away from sin once God has set us free by walking with Jesus in prayer. You, what happens is God delivers us. He tears down our Jericho. He breaks that down. And we just go walking along because now we're set free. Man, a load's been lifted. And we drop our guard. We forget the devil's still a roaring lion. He's still seeking to devour you. And he loves it when you drop your guard. Then he comes in and attacks. And the only way to stay away from that sin is to stay close to Christ in prayer. Here's what it says in 2 Corinthians 10 and verse 4. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. There's several great words in there. Uh, Weapons of warfare. Man, I love that word, weapons of warfare. But he says those weapons are not of the flesh, but they are spiritual. And they're divinely powerful for the tearing down of a stronghold. A stronghold is like a castle. It is a fortress. It's like that wall of Jericho. It's this big thing that's impenetrable. There's no way you can knock it down. But God's armor, God's weapons are good enough to knock it down. Remember, when we put on the armor, according to Ephesians 6, he says, in prayer you put it on. In prayer you fight. In prayer, in prayer, in prayer. He says prayer several times in that verse. But here's a word that I, caught my attention in this sermon. To destroy So what does it mean to destroy? And it comes from a Greek word catharsis or cathar, it's not catharsis, cathartia or something like that. But we get the word catharsis out of it. Catharsis is a word that means to be cleansed. This word means actually to eliminate. In the Bible, we find that every time Jesus healed a leper, it doesn't use the other word in Greek, which means to heal, to make well. It uses the word, this word, which means to make brand new. It's as if it never existed. And you know the nature of leprosy, it eats live flesh until people lose parts of their body. So when Jesus cleansed them, instead of just healing them, he didn't halt the advance of leprosy. They now look like they got skin like a new baby. He remade their skin. He re, it, things that had lo- they had lost grew back. I mean, that's phenomenal. Same word here. It means to eliminate it. And so when we come to God in repentance and prayer, he tears down Jericho so it is eliminated. There's nothing standing except Rahab's house. By the way, the archaeologists found a tower that did not come down. That's probably where Rahab's house was. We can't prove it, but it makes sense. God destroys that old, and he makes us as if we never sinned. Now, we go back into sin, but uh, that's now against our new nature. That's against what God has put in us. And we feel that conviction that we have gone away from God. We need to repent, come back to God and say, Hey, Lord, I've messed up here. I need help. And you know something? God will help you. (laughs) Restore to me a clean heart, O God, said the psalmist David. He He will restore us. I started with an an illustration of what happened between 1923 and 1941. But you also know, and you don't need me to tell you, in 1945, December 7, 1941, the Japanese bombed Pearl Harbor. But four years later, in 1945, we dropped a nuclear bomb on Hiroshima and two days later on Nagasaki. It created the unqualified surrender of the Japanese, saved 
tens of thousands of American lives, hundreds of thousands of Japanese lives by bringing a quick end to the war. Total devastation of those two cities. Why? Well, it could be argued, and I'm not, I, I wasn't there, don't know all the details, but I do know this. I gave you the broad sweep there of history. We blessed, they fought back, now they're brought to account. What should happen next? Now that we got them beat, let's just grind them into powder. No. Instead, what did we do? We financed the rebuilding of Japan. Why? Uh, I don't know. Wasn't there. Don't make those decisions. Glad we did, though. Glad we did. But if America would do that for Japan, what do you think God does for us if we'll repent? If we will unconditionally surrender? If we come and say, God, you would save me, you would take care of all this, and here I'm just like a dog back to its vomit, I've gone back, and we find out that God's forgiveness is already there, and that God will continue to help us build a new life, a better life, a better thing, past what we have done. I believe that that's what God wants us to see and to know, that God's grace is sufficient even when I sin after he saved me. Amen? If I didn't believe that, I'm like, Pastor Andy, I just quit and go home now. You don't believe the gospel if you don't believe that. That God's power saves us and he holds us and he keeps us, but he keeps us walking in the right path. And when we mess up, he will help us repent of that and, and, and build the right life. So here's what I want you to take home with you today. First of all, thank God that he... For his deliverance from sin. Thank him that he delivered. You can even name it. Thank you delivered me from this kind of sin. It, it's your Jericho in a sense. But in prayer also ask him to stop you from rebuilding Jericho. Because it only brings destruction when you do. The man who rebuilt Jericho lost his two sons doing that. And it will always cost us when we go back into sin. It will cost us big time. But... Also, never forget your strength to walk rightly in Christ. How? I tell you one of my favorite verses, Galatians 2.20. Let me read that to you. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. How do we walk with God? We realize that we are dead to ourselves but alive to him. That the life we are living now is because the power of Christ dwells in us to live out that life. Christ lives in us. And the life I live now is a life of faith. When we get to heaven, it's not, faith isn't required in heaven. You can see it all. But if we saw it now with these eyes, we couldn't take it. But the life I live now, I know that heaven's my home. I know there's a place to go to. But there's that doubt because we haven't seen it yet. That's a security uh, uh, that, that a human mind can never get to 100% of. Really cannot. It's like a, a single guy. Before he gets married, he's never 100% sure. Once you say, I do, brother, I don't care what you think. It's 100% true. All right? When, my, when Janice and I were first married, she'd say, how do you know it was God's will that we got married, to get married to you? I said, because we got married. She said, what if I'd have married somebody else? I said, well, that would have been God's will for you then. And she said, well, how can it be God's will that I married two guys? I said, you didn't marry two guys. You only married me. It's God's will you'd be married to me. We had to intellectually think. We, we, we met and got married pretty quick. So we had to kind of work that out. Listen, 
in your walk with Christ, understand this. God will have his way in you and with you. And his will is for you to look like Jesus. And he will continue doing that. And if you struggle, listen, his forgiveness is already available. And so go to him in prayer. Right now, I'm going to bow in prayer and I'm going to pray a prayer. And I encourage you, if God has spoken to you about some part, it doesn't be what I said. God spoke to you about anything this morning. Uh, maybe through uh, Stephanie or maybe uh, through the film or some other, the song. Uh, whatever God may have used to speak to your heart today. Would you di- make, deal with him there? If not, something more specific, I would ask you to pray that you will keep Jericho down and that you would ask God to help you rebuild the new life, the new building that he's building in you. Father, in Jesus' name, we step into your presence, not with pride, not with, with any sense of, of our own worthiness, but with a sense of absolute unworthiness. But we who were unworthy were made worthy by Jesus Christ. That we who were sinners were made saints by Jesus Christ. It is by his name, his power, his blood, his sacrifice. We step before the mercy seat in the Holy of Holies in heaven. And Lord, if we could really see it, we would be falling down like dead men. Because we cannot understand the pure holiness of of our Father. We cannot understand the pure righteousness of the trinity but lord as we step in in faith lord we are so excited when we will see this with our eyes and not just by faith we can walk by sight then but right now we step in by faith and ask lord jesus that you would speak to our hearts and lord if we are saved yet we have fallen back into a sin lord i pray that that you would deliver people from that. Lord, let people know that they don't have to keep that a secret, that they can come share it with a Christian brother or sister, with any of the pastors here, and we will help you walk that out. Lord, without any, uh, uh, any uh, condemnation or any tattling, we just want to help. But Lord, that you want to deliver them from their sin. Lord, I pray that that you would deliver us today from our Jerichos and that we would remember that it will only bring a curse if we try to rebuild it. But Lord, we thank you that once, if we ever do that, we see that we have messed up, that we can turn back to you and turn toward the cross and see that our forgiveness has already been won for us by Christ there. And so even as believers who cannot lose our salvation, we certainly have brought a veil between us and you that you uh, will not break through until we repent of our sin. Lord, uh, as a nation, we are going through many struggles now and there are many, many more to come. And yet, uh, Lord, as we see society changing around us, the church still is prayerless. Lord, it's not about who's in charge or what government's doing what because all governments ultimately will become evil. All men will fail. But Lord, you're true and right, and you never fail. And so we need to build our lives on you, and in you, and through you. So Lord, I pray for anyone who's in bondage today. You would deliver them from bondage, that they would uh, see the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And even if they have already claimed that gospel, that they are saved, Lord, that they would understand the full implication of the gospel, that it is a delivering gospel. It will destroy 
the, the, the strongholds rise that have risen up against the knowledge of God. And so, Lord, that we can know you, and we know you in the power of your resurrection and the fellowship of your suffering. And, Lord, we pray that we, your children, would become like you, for you have made us in your image, and now you are, you've, uh, are remaking us in your image. Uh, that which uh, the enemy has taken away, you are cleansing, you are healing and cleansing us so that we will look like Christ. We look forward to the day when we look like you in your presence. In Jesus' name, amen.